Let's pray. Father, we're about to get into your word and we cannot understand it in such a way that we're able to hear it and obey it unless you enable us by your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, as we open your truth, that you would speak to us and that we would hear in such a way where we worship and we obey for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start off by giving you some simple theology. People have value because they are created in the image of God. It does not matter the color of their skin or their country of origin. So on the playground, when a kid is making fun of another kid because they look different, because we are Christians or because we are human beings, we should step in and say something and correct that, right? So that's on the playground. But even through life on up and all the way up to the President of the United States who makes disparaging comments about people of other countries, and we say, no, that is unacceptable, that is evil, and that is sin. And we speak the truth that all people have value as they are created in the image of God. And it's this simple theology that is often destroyed in our country, which does have a history, an evil history, that we are often reminded of, especially on this Martin Luther King holiday weekend. And I want to start off on this weekend by telling you a story, a story about a girl named Tessie Prevost. It's a good story. It's 1961. She's six years old. And she and two other African-American girls were the first to attend a previously segregated white school in New Orleans. Now, you may have heard of Ruby uh, Bridges, who also attended a different uh, all-white school on the same day. But here we go. We get, Tessie goes to school. She's six, and she goes to school with two other friends. And she has to be escorted by U.S. Marshals, right? Because you have the crowd cussing at them, screaming at them, six years old, making death threats to them. She goes to school in that environment, and she does this day after day after day after day. And after a while, she turned to her grandma, and she's like, Grandma, I don't know if I can keep going to school. I'm hesitant to go back. I mean, I'm going there every day. I'm escorted by U.S. Marshals. People are cussing, screaming, making death threats. I'm six, right? She's six. And her grandma wisely encouraged her. And this is what her grandma said. She said, you know, if I could go with you, I'd go with you. And I would call those people to my side, and I'd read to them from the Bible and tell them, Remind them that he's up there, Jesus, watching over all of us. And it doesn't matter who you are and what your skin color is. Then the grandma said this, you're one of the Lord's people. He put his hand on you. 
He's given a call to you, a call to service in his name. Now, the grandma ma did two things. She did two things. So she rooted Tessie in the word, and she rooted Tessie in her calling. Because the word of God was very clear that racism and hatred are evil, right? And it was also clear that this six-year-old Tessie must persevere in her calling through the opposition and suffering. And this is what the six-year-old little girl said. She concluded this. She said, if I can help the good Lord and do a good job, then it will all be okay and I won't be wasting my time. I think there is a, a similar thrust for all Christians in the face of opposition and trials. To root yourself in the Word of God and to root yourself in your calling. Because there are times that will come in your life that will be difficult trials of suffering and you may be tempted to quit. Let me just talk to the college students for a second here. So, like, it's clear from the Word of God. It's clear from the Word of God that you need to be sharing Jesus with others. And perhaps you have grabbed the call that you are to share Jesus at your dorm floor, right? So you have the Word saying share, and the calling is I'm going to share at my dorm floor, tell people about Jesus. And people are not responding, and they're pushing back. How do you keep going? And so let's just talk to the parents in here. Let's do this with the parents. So for those of you who are parents, you see the word of God. It says, okay, the word says raise up your kids in the Lord. You have a calling to parent your kids. And for whatever reason, when you see other parents with your kids, you wonder how come they got the kids that are angels and I got the kids that are devils. (laughs) How can I keep going? And I think one of the, the big things that many of you are struggling with right now is that you see what the Word says and you see your calling, but what you cannot see is your future. And your future is blurry. It's not working like you want it to. And you're wondering if you misunderstood the Word or if you misunderstood your calling to apply the Word and you're discouraged. It can be unnerving and painful, but what we're going to hit hard today is to understand that you need to be rooted in the gospel and rooted in the gospel's call to live out your faith even in the midst of a world that will push back. And it will be hard. But we are encouraged to keep going, rooted in the word and in our calling. And we're going to see this as we go back to the book of Colossians. Go ahead and turn back to the book of Colossians. We go to the books of the Bible. Right now we're in Colossians. And last week we saw Paul rooting the Colossians in the gospel. They must stay in the gospel that saves them and grows them. And this morning we're in verses 9 through 14, chapter 1. So go ahead and stand and I'll read this passage. Starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. Paul is writing to the Colossians to address some form of heresy that's not fully articulated in a letter. It's a movement from the gospel, so some type of syncretism, a mixture of the gospel with some of the ways of the world. And to combat this, Paul is exalting the supremacy of Christ because the book is all about life in the conquering Christ. And last week, we started off by Paul talking about his thankfulness and reading the Colossians in their faith, love, and hope. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at the content of his prayer and his thankfulness for the Colossians. So I want to get you kind of organized this morning. Here's the content of his prayer. It's going to start with knowledge, then move on to strength then live out their calling. So let's start with a prayer of knowledge, all right? Start in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the wisdom, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All right? Kind of keep, keep it open. See where we're at here. Paul's never visited this church, but he heard about them through the faithful ministry of Epaphras. And he is encouraged by what he has heard as he has consistently prayed for them. And he makes this petition in the context of false teaching. The Colossians have started good, but now they must keep going. And Paul prays to that end that they would keep going in the gospel. So Paul's hashtag to them would read, praying keeps you from straying. Right? That's what he's doing there, and it's a good word for us. Because the less you pray, the more vulnerable you are to straying. But biblically speaking, praying keeps you from straying. But what you pray matters. And let's look at the specifics of his prayer, starting again in verse 9. It's a prayer for knowledge. Specifically, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, this knowledge of God's will, everybody here as a believer has probably prayed that before. God, show me what your will is. You're trying to discern God's will about where you go to school, who you're going to marry, where you're going to move, kids and all that. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about wanting to know that kind of knowledge from God's will. But I want you to notice that this is a prayer for God's will, as it says there, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, Paul is praying for them to know and live from a spiritual orientation given by the Holy Spirit in all aspects of life. That they would know what God is saying from his word, and they would know 
what that looks like as they live it in their world. It's a spiritual orientation where you know what God's word says to the point where you know our world is heading. You know the place of the church in that. And you know your part that you play in this grand scheme of God's plan for our earth and for his church and for eternity. So it's a spiritual orientation that Paul wants them to have knowledge of. And it comes from the word and it is set on fire in your life by the Holy Spirit. And we all need this spiritual orientation, especially when we feel lost. I don't know if anybody in here is feeling lost right now. My mom, back in the day, she was a big hiker. She was part of the Sierra Club, and she would take these groups all over mountains everywhere. And in times, she would go and hike by herself. And two times, she got so lost that search parties went out looking for her. In fact, one time she was so lost, a helicopter found her and picked her up. That's how lost she was. And know sometimes when you're not out there in the forest or in your life, you can get kind of disoriented. You're like, what is going on? I feel lost in my life right now. And it's those times where you, you should pray Say, say, Lord, I am lost. And it's this prayer right here where you say, Lord, please give me all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, that's his prayer. He wants them to understand their part, what's going on, God in control, what's going on in the gospel, how advanced. God, give me some spiritual orientation because I feel, I feel lost. And it's not just a spiritual orientation to make you feel better. It's a spiritual orientation that leads to dependence and obedience. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul prays for this spiritually orienting knowledge so that they can, you see it there? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the specifics of that, so that you can be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer is the sequence of know and do. That's the sequence. The spiritual orientation is to know what God wants you to do from his word, and then to do it. That's what he's praying here. I want you to know, and I want you to do. They want to know God's word and be empowered by the Spirit to do it. And as they bear fruit, they will grow, and they will grow in the knowledge of God more and more. Now, this know and do sequence is very important because it's often what slips us because in this world, there is a lot of pressure to know something else and to do something else. I mean, our, our world's messed up. I mean, you got to admit that. It's just messed up. And our hearts are messed up. And if we're not spiritually oriented to what God wants us to do from his word, we won't know and do his word. That's why we're going to have this prayer. Say, God, help me to understand what's going on, to evaluate what's going on in my life and my world so that I can know your will and do it. I can know your will and do it if it's my boyfriend or girlfriend and my marriage, my kids. Right? You got that. You want to know it and do it. You're rooted in the word and in your calling. So far, so good. 
So far, so good. I think everybody in here would be on board by saying, okay, we want to know God's word. And we want to do what it says. We get that. We understand that. But the reason why the Christian life is often so hard is because we can know things and we can have this calling to do them, but it's the pushback, it's the pressure, and it's the trials that make us want to quit. And that's why Paul is not done praying. Look at the prayer for strength. This is key in verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And the power mentioned here comes from God. I'm going to give you this quick little thing I'll put up on the screen for you. Uh, Douglas Moo's professor, he paraphrases it by saying that this is being strengthened by God with the greatest strength imaginable. Strengthened by God with the greatest strength imaginable. When I think about God's power through me or the Holy Spirit power, I, sometimes I think about I'm going to go out and I'm going to be evangelizing. I'm going to be so bold and people are going to be converted or I'm going to go out I'm going to pray for people and, and they're sick and they're going to get healed. And that's usually what I think about when I think about the power of God. But the power of God that he has in mind working through us right here, if you look once again in the context, it says, it says for all endurance... And patience with joy. Now, I'd rather go out and preach the gospel, see people get saved, and pray for people and they get healed. I, I love that kind of power. But the kind of power mentioned here is the power for endurance and patience. And some scholars break down this endurance piece to have to do with an impossible circumstance, and the patience piece has to do with an impossible person. The idea being that we want God's strength to not only endure an impossible circumstance, but we want God's strength to be patient with a difficult person. And you notice <laughs> the very hard part of this is it says at the very end of verse 11 that this is to be done with joy. <laughs> so the idea is that we're not just to survive a circumstance, we're to endure it with joy. We're not just to put up with a difficult person. We are to be patient with joy. And maybe right now, you are facing an impossible circumstance. I don't know what it is. Or maybe right now, you are dealing with an impossible person. And the Word is telling you to endure the circumstance and to be patient with the impossible person and to do it with joy. And I know in here right now some of you are thinking that is impossible. It's impossible to endure the impossible circumstance. It's impossible to be patient with the impossible person, right? Some of you are thinking, I hear what you're saying. You're the preacher. You're supposed to preach the word. But what you're saying is impossible. I'm going to share a little phrase with you. I hope this will help you. It goes like this. God gives what he demands. God gives what he demands. If God commands and demands something in his word, then he will give the strength to obey his own commands and demands. 
Can you imagine God saying, do something and giving you no power to do it? But we believe that God gives what he demands. And in this context, we are saying, God, please give me strength to endure this impossible circumstance. Lord, give me strength to be patient with this impossible person. And so if God is demanding resilience and grit and patience, and you ask him for it, then he will give you this resilience and grit and patience and to have joy in the midst of it. But the question is, Will you ask? Will you pray? Will you say, God, this is impossible. Please help me to endure. Will you pray that? God, this person is being impossible. Give me patience. Will you ask God that? Or will you say, it's impossible. I can't do it. I'm not even going to pray about it. God gives what he demands. Do you believe it? And if you believe it, then you will pray it. All right, so far, here's where we are. Here's where we are, okay? God's word's pretty clear about what we should do in this world. Rooted in his word. We're rooting in our calling. Okay, we got that so far. We get pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. I can't keep going, keep going. God says, you can keep going. Just ask me for power and strength to keep going. Okay, okay, God, okay. But why is this all possible? Why is it all possible for us to root in the word be rooted in our calling to keep going through difficulty. How is this even possible? And, and here we go as we finish up here talking about living out their calling, how that's even possible. Look at verses 12 through 14. This is really good. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, so we have this thankfulness that springs from believers to the Father who says here qualifies us for an inheritance that would be eternal life through the gospel, transfers us into his kingdom and, and redeems us through the forgiveness of sins. All right, we, we've, we've seen some terminology like that before. But let's think through this transfer of kingdoms. Look again at verse 13. It said, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. What does it mean that he's delivered us from this domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom? Now, I'm going to tell you a, a little story I've told before many years ago. An image I want you to get in your mind that I heard it from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, it, and it's very simple. It's an image of two fields. I gotta, just imagine a field here and a field here, and they're both surrounded by high stone walls with a, a shared middle wall, and there's no doors. And when you were born, you were born in this field. And under this field, you're under the domain of Satan and sin and ultimately death and separation from God, Okay? The Bible says clearly, you are a child of wrath, right? You are in the domain of Satan. That's where you're born. You're born in this field. And you're going to be in that field, and you're going to die in that field, unless God intervenes. And the idea is that God intervenes through Jesus Christ, who came to live the perfect life and to take on your sin, bear God's wrath, bury, raise again. Okay, so 
at a point of your life, God, with his crane of grace, <laughs> crane comes down, crane of grace, picks you up, picked me up at 19. I was in this field living life of sexual morality, rebellion against God. His crane of, crane of grace comes down, grabs me, takes me, and he pops me in this other field. And in this field is the kingdom of, of Christ, the resurrected Christ. In this field is the reign of righteousness. I am declared righteous, and now I'm no longer here. I am over here, and I'm obeying the King Jesus. Not perfectly, but the one who has forgiven me is now reigning over me. What I'm trying to get you to see, and I'll press it hard throughout the rest of Colossians, is that you are supposed to live out of the reality that this is your new identity. You no longer serve Satan. You no longer serve the evil one. You're no longer controlled by your sinful nature or your flesh. You're now controlled by the Holy Spirit. Live out this new identity, this new reality. And since this is the case, you're in this field under the reign of Jesus, then you can say, all right, the word says this, I'm rooted in it, and my calling is this, and I have trials, but I'm going to live in this kingdom with a new kind of power, a new kind of power that can go through impossible stuff and keep going, a new kind of power with the greatest strength imaginable working in and through me to live and glorify Jesus. And I don't want to say there is like a, a key that unlocks this power because that's such dorky kind of talk. I don't like that. But I would say one of the ways that you can be reminded of this reality in Christ on a daily basis is this concept called thankfulness. Did, did you see it? Did you see it again um, as, as Paul says in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father. I was hanging out with one of my kids this week, and we were going through Colossians, and there were many times in the book of Colossians that Paul keeps expressing his thankfulness, and he's urging thankfulness from the people that he's writing to. And he keeps coming back to thankfulness in the gospel. Thankfulness for this transfers of kingdom. And it seems like he's, he left this thankfulness kind of overflow more and more for your salvation than it's reminding of you of who you are in Christ. But unfortunately, if you're like me, this thankfulness doesn't overflow. God, crane grace, he rescued me, put me over here in his kingdom, and I just kind of forget about the rescue. Let me tell you something that happened out here at our lake. Happened uh, out here at our lake with a, a Northwestern student. It's a true story. Uh, out on our lake in about a long time ago, there was this steamship. This happened like in 1860. Don't tune out yet. 1860. The steamship, true story, named Lady Elgin. And it sank not too far from Evanston. And about 300 people died. And survivors were floating through the night and trying to stay alive. And students from Northwestern were looking for survivors in the morning light. And, and there's just one student. His name, uh, Edward Spencer. He saved about 17 
people in six hours. Unfortunately, if you've heard this story before, um, the physical and emotional toll during the rescue made him an invalid for the rest of his life. And apparently, hopefully some of you will send me a picture later, apparently there's a plaque on campus somewhere. For those of you who do campus tours, you know where it's at. Somewhere on campus for this guy. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this story is the thing that really bothers me. Because it was said that of the 17 people that he rescued, no one ever came to tell him, thank you. And I'm thinking about the conviction for me is that God in his crane of grace has reached down and, and rescued me from eternity of hell and separation from him. And he's put me over here. There should be this overflowing thankfulness continually that we should be sharing it with one another. Can you believe we are rescued? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, now I can see. And there should be this overflowing, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. There should be this overflowing thankfulness. And I think when we have this overflowing thankfulness, it will root us more in the word and in our calling and keep us pressing and pressing and pressing. I've always thought it would be awesome to pray a prayer that you know for sure God wanted to answer. Wouldn't that be great? Like, okay, if you can tell me, guarantee me that God will answer a prayer, that I will pray it. Well, if you pray a prayer in line with God's will, then God for sure will answer them. And as I'm looking at this prayer that Paul's praying, God wants to answer the prayer for sure for you to know his will so that you can live a godly life. I can, I can guarantee you that. God wants you to know his will rooted in his word so that you can live out your calling of a godly life. He wants you to know it and he wants you to do it. And he wants to answer this prayer for sure because he wants to strengthen you with his power to press on with an impossible situation and to be patient with maybe an impossible situation person. And if you say that's impossible, God gives what he demands. And he will answer this prayer because he has saved you with this crane of grace and he has plopped you into his kingdom and he is not going to forsake you now. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to say, I saved you. I put you here. Now you figure it out until I see you in heaven later. God's not going to do that. He's reigning over us, and he's filling us where we can, okay, be rooted in the word and rooted in our calling. I started by telling you about the courage of six-year-old Tessie uh, Prevost and her boldness <laughs> at six to trust Christ and his plan to keep going to school every day. It was amazing that she could do that. But I watched a video. You can find pictures of that time all over the place, but I watched a video of her later in life, and her two friends, she was with her two friends, and they were celebrating 50 years of desegregation in the Deep South. 
And as she was addressing the crowd, she's speaking to the crowd, gathered on the footsteps of that same school. And get this, she had the U.S. Marshals with her 50 years later. The ones that protected her when she was six, they were there with her 50 years later. And the crowd that she's addressing with a microphone, you can find it online, the crowd that she's addressing, they're listening to her speak. And they're not shouting at her now. They're not screaming at her. They're not cussing her. They're not, they're not giving her death threats. But right now, what they're doing, the crowd is applauding her. In fact, the crowd is praising God. How could she see at six what was going to happen 50 years later? I'm sure there's no way she could have seen that. But through the encouragement of the word and her grandmother, she kept going. And right now, you cannot see what's going to happen with this impossible situation. You do not know the outcome. You cannot see the way things are going to be resolved or reconciled with this impossible person. You don't know the outcome. But... If you trust that God is in control and he's called you to this and he's called you to endure the circumstance and be patient with the person, you watch. You watch. It may not be resolved today or next week or next month. Maybe not in this life, but you watch. God will do something that will bring him glory and your good because the crane of grace has already transferred you. And he's asking us to respond in faith. He's asking us to respond through prayer and to trust him through his word and in our calling for his glory. Let's pray. Father, there, there are things in my life where I would just say it's impossible. It's impossible to keep going. And what do you do? You, you continue to strengthen with grace, strength possible to those who ask. And if there's anyone in here facing that circumstance right now, or maybe it's a person just impossible, ask the Lord right now for knowledge his word, his word, his will for you and strength. Ask him right now. Say, God, give me strength to endure. Ask him for, for patience. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that don't just grin and bear it, but they will, they will see joy, joy in you. There's an overflowing joy in the circumstances and in the people they're dealing with. They're different. There's an overflowing joy because you're still in control. You're still doing good things. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you that you are our king. And thank you that you are working out a plan. We don't see it all in this life. We don't see it all. But you still have a plan. Help us to trust in you enough that we will pray and we'll ask and we will seek and we will knock. In Jesus' name, amen.